CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Home Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again. Listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club, the Tome's D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book is Never Unprepared by Phil Vecchione. Am I close on the pronunciation? Anybody know names better than me? Sounds good. (laughs) All right, we will go with Phil Vecchione. uh, And hopefully we'll be chatting with him next month. um, But we'll get to that in a second. And uh, joining us for this episode's discussion is our ongoing champion, Eric Paquette. Hello. Welcome back, sir. Glad to be here. I think uh, eventually we're just going to put you in charge of the book club and we will be guests instead of uh, hosts. Okay, lots of. <laughs> I won't take that pressure yet. <laughs> For I think the first uh, first year or so of the book club, it was Andy on with us every time, and and the second year it's been you on every time. And so if we, I, we can get Andy back, the two of you can can host it. We'll just be participants. Like, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In any case. Uh, and if you want to join us on any of our book club discussions, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can send us an email or a voicemail message to include, include on an episode to thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Or you can let us know you'd like to be a guest, and if there's room, we'll welcome you on. Trust me, they don't bite unless you ask. That's right. Uh, Before we get into our book for this uh, episode, however, we should take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Noble Knight Games, is soldiering forward, supporting us. Um, Our pick for this episode is called Masks. It is by the same folks who brought you the book we're reading today, or that we read for today. It's only this one is full of NPC ideas. Uh, ready to drop into your game so you'll never have to have that random, boring, bland PC with the first name that comes into your mind, which for me, for some reason, is always something like Eduardo, or I don't know why, but every time I think I have to come up with an NPC at the, at the last minute, it's always Spanish. Uh, so you can check that out. It is $25. That's $10 off the normal price. Uh, and be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today! And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. Great. So, uh, let's get into this book. Never unprepared. Yes. Are we all, did we all follow all the advice and now we are completely prepared for this discussion too? 
I've been trying to follow the, its advice, and those, it, it is very a, a reading that really opened up my eyes for option and all that because I'm more of the improv style of mm-hmm. not much, and but this, and I always struggle with my prep of what to do and all that, and going the book with all the, the five steps that he that they, they go to the brainstorming, selection, conceptualization, documentation, then review. It like oh that works, and I especially like the questions at the end of each chapter mm. for you to rate yourself. Yeah, I've, I found um, a lot of the the concrete sort of advice to be very thought provoking and very useful. Uh, at least in, if if I'm not going to follow it exactly as a DM who's been DMing for uh, decades now, um, I'm at least it's at least forcing me to go back and think about my process um, critically and make sure that I'm actually doing things the way I should be doing things and whatever. Um, there's some bits where I've taken it out and said, "Yeah, I should be doing that more," and and it's been great. And I've actually um, you know I the two weeks ago I think it was I, I went down and I actually sat down and said, "I'm going to go through all the steps." for this weekend's game and I'm going to see how it goes. And I ended up coming up with a brilliant idea that I, w- I don't think I ever would have previously come up with that worked really well in my game. And I had a really good game session last time and I, and I, I chalk a lot of it up to me going through the steps in, in the prep that he suggested here. Yeah. Um, my only... My, well, my, 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 the issue I run into with that, I guess, is that I am running a published adventure. And there's not any advice at all about how to, to how to how to modify some of the steps in order to make it apply to a published adventure, right? Because a lot of the prep is already done, right? Uh, yeah. Or the documentation's mostly done, right? right? Docu- yeah, documentation is mostly done. I always view published adventures as half the work's already done; the other half is you personalizing it for your group. Right. And that's what I treated the prep for is, is that I said, okay, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to brainstorm some additional things and, and, and customizations and tweaks that I can make to the game and to the story to, to make it make my group more engaged in it. Um, and, and that worked really well. But then I, then I got to this week and it's like, oh, I got another game coming up uh, this weekend. Do I need to go through all these prep steps again? I don't think I do because the stories I came up with two weeks ago still haven't completely played out yet. You know? Um, and so... I think there there are modifications and tweaks that can be made to the advice that's given to make it fit into b- playing published adventures even better, or you know, or, you know what you know what I mean. Um, yeah. So I got a lot of value out of it, and a lot of it is like, well, I, because my m- mind always goes to I want to apply this to what I'm doing right now, and a lot of it I couldn't really apply to what I'm doing right now because <laughs> you know it's already done. Yeah, and I I think too there is. Um, he talked a lot about scenes in it and. Having played games outside of D and D, where scenes are much more important, I I think I like I had a good idea of what he was talking about, but I sometimes wonder if you hadn't had that background, I don't know how much it would have. I, I wish there had been a little bit more there about understanding what a scene means and sure. and how you would prep a scene. A scene can also be for in D and D terms can be tr- translated to an encounter. You right, have, but, it's not, but it's not always an encounter. Well, a, a combat it's, or it's, non-combat encounter. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. sometimes it's it's a moment of role playing. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and totally. And 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 we're we're making. I'm saying. And right now we're making the translation. I was just saying in the book it might have been a little more useful. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because there are some areas like there where I think he could have expounded a little bit more. And there are some areas where I felt like – and it's hard for me because I have the perspective of having DN for a very long time. So it's hard for me to know what is necessary and what's not, but a lot of it seemed like it wasn't necessary. Like you're – OK, I got it. You've said you – know, you've, you've reiterated this point in five different ways now uh, and I was just ready for him to move on. Now, but maybe you know that's something that that newer DMs get a lot of value out of. I have I have no idea, but there were some things where it's like, okay, I, I get this now. I'm ready. I'm ready to to move along to the next section. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. There were there were places that were that way, but also the, I also found some of those places as an experienced game master was like, okay, yes, I get it, but wait a minute. I'm now thinking about this right now. I haven't thought about this for a long, long time, but now yeah. you're making me thinking about this, which is cool. I agree. Yeah, I had yeah. the same experience. So. I also, the one other thing, one other thing I, I found that could have been really cool, especially for digital copies, is he talks about you know creating a template for different things. Right. And, and honestly, as I was following along the different steps and things, I was thinking to myself, wow, I, I have ideas for a template in my head right now. It would have been cool if it came with a collection of a, of a dozen different sort, sorts of templates for the different steps um, that would have been useful. I, yeah. I created one for my conceptualization phase once I've sort of narrowed down one or two topics. Uh, but it also sort of becomes my – what's the next phase after conceptualization? Uh, documentation. Documentation, yeah. So it's also my, it also becomes my documentation. So I just basically have a bunch of boxes on, on a – page with questions to answer sort of like the, uh, many of which are the questions that he provided yeah. um, and then I just fill those out as I, as I conceptualize and then I bring that to with me and, and say okay well we're dealing with this storyline right now I can pull out this paper and, and quickly summarize for myself what's going on and you know what nuances I need to remember you know yeah. the thing about yeah. with providing templates is that the templates he says they're, they're usually very personalized for based on your style of a game master and what game you're, you're you're playing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I just think it would have been useful as an example. Well, yeah, yeah, because some people do really well with examples than, yeah. than other people do. Because honestly, um, when I started designing my own uh, my own template, that whole conceptualization phase process made a lot more sense to me. It's like, oh, okay, this is exactly what I need to do and what I need to need to figure out because I had paper to sort of visualize it. Yeah. So, cool. Plus, I always love actually seeing other people's uh, DM notes. That's true. <laughs> I, I just—it's one of the reasons I end up reading so many people's blogs—is because I just want to see how they actually uh, prepare their notes and then and see how they do it. And and I know that I don't have to do it that same exact way, but sometimes I'll see some some little thing that they do that I I steal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but I did notice well, – so one thing when I was reading this, uh, it uh, totally pointed out – it reinforced something that I had problems with when I wrote uh, – when I was working on Lost City uh, for Cobalt Press or Open Design at the time, uh, which was I was I was uh, kind of mashing together those three phases where like – or four phases really, the brainstorming, selection, concept, conceptualization, and documentation. Like I would totally be conceptualizing and documenting at the same time and mm-hmm. getting really frustrated because I was, I was trying to do everything at once. So yeah. uh, We're all getting mixed together and you yeah. have a nice big knot at the end and you're like, oh. Yeah, in fact, it occurred to me as 
as I was going through the process, and, and it's relevant to what the story you just told, Tracy, is that you can, I could actually go through this exact same steps in order to pitch and write articles for people. You know, um, If I had gone through, through these steps when I was writing the article for Wizards, I think um, I could have come up with a much better product that you know, maybe would have actually gotten published. You know? Right. Yeah, because it, the process Danny describes is very much seems to be a process for creating anything. Yeah, as it's, a, it's, as it's, a product. I mean, and and prepping a session isn't much different than prepping an article, you know, uh, on the on a similar topic. I, the the one and this is another area where I, as a DM, sort of tweak the the ideas here is that he talks about prepping a session, and I think I would see it. I would get more use out of it as prepping a story or prepping an adventure. That will be more something you'll probably see in the Odyssey one. Oh, you think so? So, this is more of the focus of the story. You might have a big story planned out for this session, but let's say that you only go through half of it, so you know that the next half is coming up. Well, you can still go and concentrate, okay, so I know we're going to have to be doing that half. Okay, cool. But okay, initially I had planned this for one session. What happens if this half actually just takes half the session? What do I do afterwards? And then you can start adding to that and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so sometimes it's just to focusing what yeah, do, what am I doing for this session? Yeah, absolutely. See, I have a hard time and and maybe it's because I played 4th edition for so long. I have a hard time thinking of things in just session size bites. Because, you know, in 4th edition, especially playing 1 to 30, you get to those upper levels and you might only have one or two encounters the entire session. Um, And and so it's hard to accomplish a whole lot of story in that amount of time. So I I think story-wise, and I would actually plan out, um, you know, a whole story which might turn into two sessions, three sessions, sometimes, you know, five or six sessions. Who knows? And I'd have it all planned out and documented and ready to go, you know, in, in one week. Um, and so sometimes it's easier for me to, to think that way rather than – because he talks about a session um, being fairly well contained, you know, having th- – there's a theme to this session. There's a, a specific cliffhanger we're trying to aim for at the end and when we get to that cliffhanger, we stop even if it's early or whatever. Um, so he has a very specific way that he constructs sessions, which I think would be and could be cool. I just I, I, I just can't do that, <laughs> you know? Well, also think of a session as – a con game. Going to a convention, you have four hours. You have to tell this story within those four hours. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's that's why I don't run con games because <laughs> I, I have a hard time doing that. So, so I think I could do it. I well, think I could I mean, do it better in some games than others, though. And, yeah, and, and and he talks about this a little bit too. Like people have different strengths and different things that they want out of a game, and. Mm-hmm. And you have to play to those strengths and those uh, those uh, desires and, yeah. and needs. Absolutely. In fact, I, uh, as a result of this reading this book, I, I went through there and, he's, and he talks about um, during the selection phase when you have to cut out all of your ideas. One of the things to consider is what your strengths are as a DM and what kind of DM you are as well as what kind of players you have. Mm-hmm. So you can pick things that are going to be useful to them specifically. So I actually created a big survey that I had my players fill out at the last session where they, they 
on a scale of one to ten, they rated themselves on the on the different types of role players from the was it uh, fourth edition DMG that Robin Laws wrote okay. that section. I had so I had them rate themselves one to ten where where they felt they were on each of those things, and then I also had them rate each other. So then we could have a conversation of well, you thought you were this, the group thought you were this. Right. Did you did you have your group rate yourself? So you so what, to know what your players think of you as a DM. And, yes, and then I had them do myself do me as a DM as well. And there, there, I didn't. It was harder to find a, a listing of different types of DMs, but I actually found one. I think it was on Gnomestu. Now, that, um, as I think about it, um, and so I found one there, and, and so I had them rate me as well, which which is actually probably more interesting. I feel like um, looking at the results, the players had a pretty good idea of what kind of players they were, with you know with yeah. a few little exceptions here and there, um, but. The the place where I saw some some fairly wide distance was on the DM. Um, you know, I, I put myself really low as sort of the oppositional DM, who you know who's sort of in, in an adversarial role with the players. They put me fairly high as an as an oppositional DM. Um, wow. They put me fairly low as the player DM who really likes playing and and you know DMs because there's a need to. Um, to, for somebody to be the DM, I actually put myself fairly high on that because a lot of times when I'm DMing, I approach it as, oh, I'm going to be a player now with this NPC, you know? Uh, and sometimes I would rather sit on the other side of the screen and go crazy and have fun. Um, so there were some discrepancies and some interesting th- conversations I think I can have out of that. And so I think, you know, there's another area where there was some, this book sort of kicked me in the butt to say, you know, I should do this thing and figure out how it goes and, and have some, some interesting conversations with my players about it. I actually would be curious to see your survey or your questionnaire for your DM part. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can um, I can send you the whole the whole document. Yeah. Okay. Could be something that I could use for my group. Yeah. Yeah. I basically um, I I wasn't sure where to find a good DM list of of types of DMs, and so I just sent it out to Twitter, and, and somebody responded on Twitter and said, "Hey, how about this article?" Um, and so I used that and then just took their descriptions. Again, I think it was on Gnomes too. Uh, I took their descriptions and just sort of made a few little tweaks here and there to, to better explain things and to shorten it up. Um, so it was, you know, here's the this type of DM. and Here's a brief description. And now rank me, rank your DM from 1 to 10 on that, you know? Yeah. You know, this also strikes me as funny because the the 4th edition – uh, DMG definitely talks about different player types, mm-hmm. and I know that's still relatively new to D and D and everything. But it's we never, as far as I remember, we never really got adventures that specifically called out that they had things for each of those types. Oh yeah, yeah. you know, and there weren't even that many puzzles in Fourth Edition for the puzzle types and, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, and I always thought that was a little yeah. It's interesting um, because I feel like. The results I got um, on the survey were very different than I think they would have been two years ago when we were in the middle of the fourth edition campaign. Right. I think in the fourth during the fourth edition campaign, I would have gotten more of the thinkers, which are your your tacticians and your strategy people. Mm-hmm. I would have gotten more power gamers and slayers. You know. Right. Um, whereas for the most part. In the middle of a D&D Next campaign, those scores were – especially the, the Power Gamer and Slayer uh, scores were actually really low for most of the group with, with maybe one exception. Right. Um, but everybody considered themselves to be a storyteller or an actor you know, and be really interested in those sorts of things. 
right. um, which which is is great because that's also where I consider myself to be as a player. So I tend to you know I I probably have an instinctive sort of tendency to, to lean that way as a DM as well, right? Right. And, it, and it's awesome because I can just throw a, a situation at him and say, okay. You now tell me what to do, what you're doing, what's how it's, how it's going to play out, you know, and I can sit back and watch it go. And there's so little prep necessary for that. I just got to know my NPCs and and the environment, and then let them go at it. Right, and then mm-hmm. those templates come in, and that's when you start talking about NPC motivations and mm-hmm. and uh, personalities. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, now I feel like I need to make another template just to briefly remind me of of different NPC information. Yeah. Well, those are very useful when you, especially when you're doing like my style is mostly I have a sandbox where I do not have this linear story that are going, but I have a, a smattering of different stories that are happening with different characters with different goals, mm-hmm. and the players go, oh, "We'll just grab that hook there and go and start going that way." And oh, wait, no, we're going to change and go there. I actually had a situation where I had a plot and they were planning on going there and. The players actually got so scared of this plot, they decided, no, we're, we're going to take a vacation to the Feywild. Yeah. So like, I was like, okay. It's amazing uh, how sometimes that you, you, you set them up with something you, you, you're pretty sure they're going to go with, and then they completely go another direction. Exactly. And it's like, okay, so I just had to check my notes. Okay, what is currently happening in the Feywild right now? Yeah, sure, oh, absolutely. That's where I put this dragon who had run away from them beforehand. Yeah. That's Actually, one, one of my big ideas after doing the brainstorming from reading this book was I'm doing Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil right now, and I wanted to do this whole um, storyline about re, you know uh, restoring the Dwarven Empire that used to be based there, uh, where, where the, the dungeon is. And I knew the players were coming up to um, this Temple of Morden that, that's basically untouched because the defenses of the temple were, uh, were strong enough to basically convince everybody that it's not worth going there. And, and I have a Dwarven Cleric of Morden in the party. So I'm like, oh, well, as you get close to this, the, these forbidden tunnels that the orcs won't go anywhere near, um, you, know, you have a, a real sort of sense of familiarity and, and comfort in that direction. And, and you really feel like you should check it out and that it's, everything's going to be okay over there. And so he goes and checks it out and, and you know, he enters this Dwarven Temple of Morden and he sees all these artifacts and these things going on. And he is so paranoid the entire time. The more I tell him that everything seems okay, the more paranoid he gets that I'm just trying to, to lull him in the, into this false sense of security. That he walks around the whole thing really paranoid, uh, like crazy the whole time until finally, eventually, after they'd explored the whole area, uh, he was you know at ease and, 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 and calmed down. I think once he figured out that he could order the, the stone golem around and the, and the golem would do what he said, I think that's when he figured out that everything was actually going to be okay. Right. So, anything else on Never Unprepared? This is this is going to be a short episode. It's a short book, I suppose. Uh, I guess one thing I could point out, because I, I said this on G+, but I may as well point it out here, too. Uh, I thought the art direction was really good on the book. The artwork? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually very impressed in the art as well. Yeah, uh, yeah and the... And, it was clear because it was clear that the uh, they intentionally uh, tried to make it uh, represent lots of different types of games mm-hmm. with lots of different types of people in it, and I thought that was awesome because that's what the book is because the book is supposed to be about everything. Like it's not about 
one type yeah, of genre absolutely. or and it's yeah. it's supposed to be for everyone. Sometimes it was a sci-fi thing, sometimes it was horror, sometimes it was fantasy. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes it was modern mm-hmm. uh pulp. You you have you have a smattering of basically every single thing. Uh you have a smattering of different people of different sizes, colors. Yep. Uh genders so, so I actually think I found the I, and, I, and I'm a little surprised to say this because when I was reading through it I, I wasn't sure this was going to be the case um, but I found the chapters describing the steps to actually probably be the most useful um, I, when, like when I was going through it I was like I'm really looking forward to getting to chapter 8 which is to all you know all this um Tools, you know, it's tools for the uh, tools for prep is what the chapter is called. I'm really looking forward to getting into that really concrete sort of uh, um, advice and examples and things. Um, or the the templates chapter. Oh, we'll get to see some examples, you know. And so I was really looking forward to some of the some real concrete things. And then it turned turns out after I've gone through it all that most of the concrete advice actually comes in those initial chapters describing yes. the different steps. Yep. Chapter one to seven is basically from the. The section called "Understanding Prep" is basically the best section of the book. Yeah. Uh, so, for and actually, the first two chapters are just sort of explaining what the book is and, and what where you're going for the in yeah. the future of it, right? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm. Those are also my symptoms. I tried. Uh, one thing I've been struggling right now is trying to figure out my creating energy graph that, that he yeah. talks about. I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, okay, I'll, let's try this. I, uh, I've, I've mapped out for my usual work week for my free time inventory map. Mm. It's just figuring out creative energy. I, I think it's going to be a, a try a few times before, before we actually get into the details for that. Well, I also noted from his chart that he gives as an, as an example that he ends up with a bunch of free time because he sleeps a lot fewer hours than I do. Yeah. You know? so the, he, scheduled, so, he scheduled like five or six hours of sleep a night. So basically the part, the part we're talking about is that he gives a, a 24-hour schedule with uh, little blocks you can color in with, with different, different things you're doing. Yeah. Because uh, we didn't really explain what we're talking about. That's true. And the... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he's putting five hours of sleep each day. I noticed that, too. Yeah. It's like, well, well yeah, I, I'd have a lot more free time, too. If, cause well, from what, I see, I, from what I see, he has six hours of sleep, seven oh, hours. Oh, six. Yeah. yeah. Which, honestly, that's, that's actually what I take for night. I usually go to bed around midnight and get up around 6, 6.30. Yeah. So. Yeah. He, I sometimes can do that for a few months and then I crash. Yeah. yeah. I, I can do that, but then my students are going to start wondering why I'm asleep in the back of the classroom. So that doesn't that doesn't play out for me for for very long. No. So yeah, I don't have the as much as much as he talks about his free time. the The number of hours of free time that he has is way more than the number of hours um, that I can put together for myself. And, and in fairness, and he talks about this, right? You have to set priorities, and sometimes your free time is is actually you know you need to do other things. It's not just all prepping for games and whatever yeah. a lot of my free time is is you know doing this podcast or spending time with my wife because you know i married her for a reason i should probably spend some time with her yeah and 
and that's basically that's why how you why you also talks about setting up your schedule for gaming too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, do, you, do you have a weekly game or do you have biweekly, monthly? Mm-hmm. I mean, it it all depends on how much actual free time that you have to one game and two also prep for that game. Yeah. So. And uh and and like the that just to go back for a moment to that creativity schedule where there there's highs and lows throughout the day. We I've had this discussion even at my my day job because uh sometimes people don't understand why programmers will watch YouTube videos or <laughs> go do something else for a little while. That's cuz programming is a, it's, coding is a creative field as well. And if we just tried to sit at the computer and code all day, uh, we would quickly burn out for one, hmm. and and it just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need that recharge period, uh, and and YouTube videos can help with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm, I mean, as a, as a teacher, uh, one of my favorite things about teaching is is the creative process of creating lessons and and all that kind of stuff, right? But there'll be some times where I'm just I'm at that time of the day. It's like, nope, it's not happening right now. You know, very very seldom can I write lessons after school during all that, you know, that's when I, that's when I have the most time right. after school to work, but I have to sit around for an hour or sometimes two hours, just hanging out, chatting with people, whatever, um, doing more inane things before I can even start thinking about, um, working on lessons or, or that kind of stuff. Or a lot of times I'll bring it home and I'll work on it because I've just been teaching for six hours and it's exhausting and my brain is fried and I need to not do that for a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah. So. Creative creative comes in spurts and basically you can focus on those things. But yes, you have to have other pursuits sometimes just to spread out your energy. Yeah, absolutely. Or or recover energy. Although although I think there's – there's a skill involved, and I don't know if he addressed this, but there's a skill involved in being able to tap into that creativity when necessary as well. You know, yeah. presuming you haven't just been teaching for six days and your brain is fried. Sometimes you're facing a deadline, or or you know, this is the window of opportunity you have, and you have to be able to to know how to turn on that creativity and get it done then. Well, well, and that's but that's the whole point of always brainstorming and putting them in those books is that. Uh, during the times when you are creative, you'll have this backlog of ideas. You don't always have to pursue them, but when you do need to pursue something, you can pull back from your catalog then. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, and I, without even realizing it, I actually kind of started doing that on my India trip, right? Um, as I was, as I wanted to take notes to remember things to talk about when we came back to do the Tome Travels episode about my trip to India, I realized I need to be writing all this stuff down and I'd find myself in, in quiet moments in the bus going from one location to the other. It's like, oh, I should start coming, you know, and I'd sit there and I'd start brainstorming things. Oh, I just went to this place and I saw this place and whatever and I'd get out my phone and I and I opened up just a little uh, note file there and started taking notes there. Um, and most of the notes that, that I had for that episode were just things I, based off of a few things I jotted down in, in on my phone um, when I had a quiet moment to do so. Which is, yeah. you know, the same process of, of just as you're going about your daily life. I always have my phone with me if I need to pull it out and 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 take some notes to br- help me brainstorm. I can totally do that. Right. Yeah, and, and it was the same thing because he talked a little bit about uh, being able to prepare a game when you get a phone call that says your friend's going to be in town tomorrow and wants to play a game with you. 
what do you do? And this is why you're, you're never unprepared is because you've already been doing all this brainstorming and maybe even developing ideas that you're not quite going to use yet, but you've had them somewhat developed that mm-hmm. on, on the spur of the moment, you could kind of develop them enough to run a game quickly. Yeah. I actually, cr- I actually f- uh, found what I'm calling my brainstorming book. Uh, while reading this, where it's just a little notebook that I have, and I dedicate. I mean, you know, the idea was I'm going to dedicate, you know, five minutes a week, ten minutes a week, fifteen minutes a week, whatever I can come up with, to just sit down and write down brainstormed ideas. And as I use them, you know, I can cross them off, or as they make it through the, the selection process, I'll circle them or whatever, right? So I know what right. I've used or what I've developed or what I've thought of, or whatever. But I can always go back the idea, and I I've only done it, you know, once or twice now. The idea, though, is that. A year from now, I can still go back to that same book, and that's my brainstorming book, and I can look through all my old ideas and, and see if any of them apply or, or, you know, spur some creativity right now. Right. Is it, a, is it a generic shows, or is it going to be focused on like a current game you're running? Okay, so the idea is that is that it's brainstorming things for the current game I'm running. Okay. But a lot of ideas are, I mean, I'm, I'm basically narrowing it down to what my notes for each thing is what, however long, whatever I can fit onto one line of the notebook. Right. So it's fairly broad and open anyway. Like the, um, the big idea that I, that I had, uh, recently was, you know, Hey, have this character be possessed by a demon who actually wants legitimately wants to, to help them achieve their goals. You know, well that works really well for the game I'm, I'm playing right now. But that can work really well for a lot of games, you know? (laughs) So, All right. Any other thoughts? Questions? Things that we've done? Tracy, you haven't actually had much chance to uh, implement anything. Any any uh, plans you have based on this to, to change the way you prep for games? Um, not not only right now, because I've already... It was kind of funny before I even read it. I'd, I'd started going similar to this. I don't know if a five-step process is exactly what I need, but... Uh, I was I was going sim- sort of similar to this. Uh, I was already planning out a new uh, campaign that I might write up to publish, uh, and I was drawing out like a concept map and everything first. <laughs> Sweet, so, which is just a diff- another form of brainstorming, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And Eric, how have you, how have you been using it? You you read this a couple months ago now, right? I read because of most. I reread it recently. I've uh, been basically trying to. Re- practice those techniques of brainstorming and improve the stuff that the stuff I'm lacking and tr- actually try more to do actual session prep rather than spur of the moment improv hey look uh, Eduardo the NPC yes. <laughs> Eduardo the NPC yes uh. Or in my game seems to be one NPC game gets named George and then one at one point through no like like could be like two hours later on I introduce an NPC and his name is Lucas and people <laughs> it's, it's becoming a running joke in my games yeah. it's like so um, so you've been you do, you've been trying to implement this for a couple months now have have you seen a positive impact on your game I have seen some lots of an impact where I actually have ideas that are flowing in and they're like okay cool I have something I can work with and and basically I, it's getting, getting my game is a bit more structured into what to do and uh, also rather than and easier to 
when I, the players ask for something, I can the idea just comes into my head much quicker than it was before. Okay, because you've been practicing these skills, it's it's a lot easier to to pull these things back up on the fly. Is what you're saying? Yes. Okay. But but it's not completely on the fly, right? Because you've thought about it and you've 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 prepped a little bit for it. Exactly. Very good. Nice. So, any last thoughts going around? Maybe we'll make up a bunch of templates. I've made one, and I've already. Well, I guess two if you include the survey. And I'm thinking of a third yes. on NPCs. We should make a book yeah. of templates. Totally. <laughs> and then we could get have uh, gnomes to publish it for us. Yeah. Awesome. Tracy, I'm going to put you in charge of making that happen. Organize Okay. It. You are the project manager. All right. Cool. And that, that'll be a thing. Yes. Eric, last thoughts? Very useful for any sort of game master to yeah. read. Uh, whatever your experience level, even if you think you've... Even if you've been doing this for almost four decades, <laughs> for considering D&D's coming out in four, 40th mm-hmm. anniversary... Uh, there will stuff that you will probably either it will refresh your memory and you'll be able to apply. <laughs> yeah. If nothing yeah. else, the book encourages you if you, if you read it with a, with a legitimately you know sort of open mind to to taking in the ideas. Um, it, it at least will have you critically thinking about the way you do things to make sure that you do them the best way, the way that's best for you. You can go through mm-hmm. the entire book and disagree with 90% of his process and still make your process better for having gone through that. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely recommend it as well. All right. In that case, we will uh, approach our end here. I want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games, as well as Eric M. Paquette. Thank you for joining us once again pleasure to be here <laughs> i also want to thank our listeners for using our affiliate links uh there's the DD classics link that where you can buy all kinds of DD pdfs uh which i think i've recently actually got them to fix um a lot of people spent a bunch of money through the the links and i could see the reports and they never credited me any money for it uh, but now it is crediting me uh purchases so go out and buy some pdfs uh you can also go shopping to am with through at Amazon through our link. If you go through our link, the show gets a little a little taste, um, and that helps us pay our bills and, and keep going with the things we do. Great. And uh, if you'd like to contact us with any questions or comments, uh, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call us at our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you will find show notes for all of this and other things over at thetomeshow.com where you'll also find other great Tome Show production D&D shows. So if you're just listening to the book club, go to thetomeshow.com and find all the other shows that we create. And that is our thoughts on Never Unprepared. Join us next month as we will be super prepared to go on an odyssey. Because that's the name of the next book. Get it? Got it. (laughs) Got it. Good. Good. I'm on the wall.